0: Today we're going to be talking about faith, because that's living by faith. It's living by faith in a lot of different ways when you uh, step into 45-degree water. Today we're going to talk about living by faith, and then we're going to practice our faith, because we're going to take a time as a church family and just share in what the church calls communion, a time we remember the death of Jesus, and we do that by faith. Last uh, Sunday morning, we began an invitation, an investigation of faith from the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is simply taking God at his word. I really can't think of a better definition than that. Faith is taking God at his word. You'll remember faith is not the power of positive thinking. It is not just having a hunch about something. It's not just hoping for the best or a feeling of optimism. It's not an insistence that God conform to my ideas. We often take our ideas and try to get God to come along with us. And sometimes he plants something within us that he wants to grow and develop our faith. Uh, Sometimes we just want God to do what we want. And faith is not merely intellectual assent. We said last week that biblical faith must have a proper object. That is, it's not subjective faith. It's not me just dreaming up something in my mind. You know, it's not uh, some kind of uh, imagination that I have. It's real and genuine, and the object of biblical faith is God and his word. It's God and his expression to us of his will, uh, who he is what he is like, how he works, and what he wants us to do. Faith is also a kind of uh, sixth sense, because God gave us five senses to perceive our physical world, the physical universe. And faith is a way to perceive the spiritual world, the unseen spiritual world. Last week, we talked about how faith helps us connect online with God. Uh, It helps us begin our relationship with God because that's God's requirement. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's about understanding, first of all, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for my sin. There's a lot of things that have to be understood right there. And then it's a step of faith to trust Christ. We also talked about how faith uh, helps us stay online with God. Uh, we start with God, but we continue with God by faith. It's about walking with God. And then last week we saw how faith gives us an understanding of the question of origins. It doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know about how the universe got started, but it gives us understanding. There was nobody there in the beginning when when. Everything came into being. There was no scientist who was able to put God in a test tube or anything else in a test tube or any way to measure anything that happened during the time of creation. But God has given us an eyewitness account. It's his testimony of how it began. And we can know that because faith gives us understanding into the question of origins. And today we're going to continue our investigation into faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. So I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews 11. And um, when it comes to faith, the first thing I want us to know, if if you want to follow in your outline, God cares about your heart response. God cares about your heart response. Would anybody like a copy of the scriptures? We have people in the back waving their, their Bibles, okay? So if you'd like a copy of the Bible, just slip up your hand. We'll be glad to hand one to you, and so you can follow along. You can always pick one up on your way in, too. We hand them out every week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and this is uh, page 834, if you're using one of the bridge Bibles. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. So, when it comes to faith, God cares about your heart response. Now, we meet two men, Cain and Abel. The truth is, we don't know a lot. About Cain and Abel. It's a short narrative of what we do know. The story is found in Genesis chapter 4 verses 2 through 8. Now I have this on PowerPoint, Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. but you must master it. So just hang on right there. We got two men, Cain and Abel. Both brought offerings. Uh, one was a farmer. One was a shepherd. They both brought from the best of their resources. It's, it's all very good to hear. Okay. However, after the offering, God put favor on Abel and not on Cain. And then what happened? God had a conversation with Cain. And he's saying, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Because there's something going on in Cain's heart. Okay, next. next. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Huh. God speak to you and you go kill your brother. There's a problem here. And it's not just, is this about God being unfair? Let's, let's uh, walk this through. Uh, so some observations about this text. Both uh, both guys had equally good occupations, both noble occupations. One was not better, okay? I would also argue that they both brought equally good sacrifices. Now Some will, will want to argue that because Abel was a shepherd and he brought uh, a sacrificed animal, that it was somehow better than what... Um, Cain brought, and and I don't see that in the text. Uh, Equally good sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews tells us the issue is one of faith. That's the difference. The issue is one of faith. It's about responding to God. We don't know exactly what God had communicated to them. We don't know what it was that prompted them to bring these offerings at this time i'm'm I'm, uh my assumption would be God has communicated with them about this, but we just don't have the information. We don't have the text that says that. but they did come with their offerings. And um, Abel responded by faith. Abel responded with the desire that was different than Abel's. He had a desire to honor God and to please God and to do uh, what God wanted. Apparently, that was not Cain's heart. Cain was not about pleasing God, but he was more about outdoing Abel because Abel had, Abel had a better sacrifice, and that just ruined Cain. Uh, Cain was angry. He was jealous. He wanted to be the best, so God warned him about his heart. Uh, God warned him about what was going on in the inside and the power of that and the power of sin. And Cain killed his brother. Something going on inside. He was boiling over with anger and jealousy. And even after God took the time to speak with him personally, he killed his brother. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 tells us about the problem of the heart. Jeremiah the prophet writes, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah tells us that the heart, the heart being um, sort of that inner control room, that it's not the uh, physical, it's metaphorical, it's figurative, and it speaks to that sort of the inner control, and it's where decisions are made in your mind. It's where, where motives lie. Where, and, and Jeremiah tells us, it's hard to know the heart. It's hard to know your heart, and it's hard to know somebody else's heart. The heart can be deceptive. Um, and and then verse 10, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct and according to what his deeds deserves. But God knows the heart and God can examine what goes on when we do things and make decisions. And he rewards people and God rewarded Abel because of his Faith. So the hearts of two men, one sought to honor God by, thought, by faith, one merely went through the motions of religious ritual. Uh, we're on to the next slide here. The heart of two men, one sought to honor God by faith. Next, next one, next point. One merely went through the motions of religious ritual. Same actions. Cain took the time to go out into his crops and bring the first fruits that'd be the very best to be like the best portion right off the bat and um but it, he was just going through the motions he was trying to outdo his brother it it wasn't about his response to god he was more concerned about how he looked than how god looked and um Next point is that the life of faith still speaks. The life of faith still speaks. And we see this in the Hebrews eleven four. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. Abel was commended as a righteous man. It's Hebrews 10 that reminds us that the righteous shall live by faith. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. Abel was one of the first to die in the world, and he still speaks. His story is still told. He's alive, and he's still speaking through God's word to us about living by faith. And God commends faith. So uh, question, you know God still cares about God cares God cared about um, Abel's heart, and God cared about Cain's heart, and God cares about your heart. What is the condition of your heart today? Just a good question, just a good application to think about. Is your heart open or is your heart closed? To God? Is your heart hardened toward God? Have you developed spiritually tough skin? We do that sometimes, you know. Just get a little spiritually calloused toward God. Or is your heart spiritually sensitive, tender to God, ready and willing to follow Christ anywhere, anytime, for anything? The writer of Hebrews gives us a warning in Hebrews chapter two. And he says, we must pay more careful attention. What a great reminder to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. There's a reminder. We must pay careful attention so we don't drift. Because we go into neutral spiritually, we begin to drift. There is no neutral. We begin to drift backwards going downstream for if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment that's referring to the old testament and the 10 commandments how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation this salvation was first announced by the lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him it's a warning about neglecting your relationship with god Be careful that you don't drift. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, same book. So, as the Holy Spirit says today, that's a key concept here. Today, not just in the first century, but now, today, if you hear His voice, God's voice, God's speaking, do not harden your hearts. And he's he's talking to the Hebrews as you did in the rebellion during the time of the testing of the desert. He's referring to a time where they were tested and their hearts became hard. And he's saying to the church, this is to the church, do not harden your hearts. Be careful. Next chapter, Hebrews 4, verse 7. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So, not only does God care about your heart response, God also cares about your daily choices. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Here is one of the heroes of faith. Um, The story comes from Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Uh, Enoch's one of those guys I hope that I can drop in and meet him one day and hear the whole story. Um, Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Here we go. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. It's kind of a late starter here, isn't he? And after he became the father of Methuselah, you know who he is? The oldest man in the Bible, 969 years old. Now, that's one of the questions people have about Genesis. How can Methuselah live to be 969 years old? The answer, I don't know. But next week, I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? Because we're going to talk about uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7. So, he became the father of Methuselah. Notice this. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lives 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because... God took him away. So um, the daily choices. Enoch faced daily choices. Genesis 5.22. A little repetition won't hurt us here. After he became the father of Methuselah. Get this. He lived 65 years without walking with God. And then he had a child. And then that changed everything for him. And he learned to walk with God. So for 65 years, we don't have anything about Enoch in his relationship with God. Then he became the father of Methuselah. I don't have a clue what happened there. But he walked with God 300 years. And then he had more family, more kids. 300 years. He got up every morning. And he walked with God day after day after day after day. And he made choices. And we, we, we don't know a lot about this period, but here's what we know. It was extremely sexually immoral. Um, drunkenness was kind of normal. Idolatry was everywhere. How bad was it? I mean, Eno, it's the only, he's the only person that says walk with God here. You know, in his generations, he's the only one that gets spelled out. And um, it got so bad that one chapter later, Genesis chapter 6, God decided he'd had enough, and he brought judgment and just took care of the human problem except for eight people. And he sort of started over with eight And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But um, Enoch walked with God 300 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. God thought a lot of this man. And he mentions that he walked with God. Twice in Genesis and... He's commended for his faith in the Hebrews Hall of fame. Um, so he was no more because God took him away. He got special treatment. He was uh, honored by God, and God took him out of the world. Um, I would call it a precursor to what we call the rapture. It's first Thessalonians chapter four verses thirteen through seventeen. God took him without death. And uh, he walked with God 300 years and God took note of it. And Elijah is the only other one that I know of in the Old Testament where God took him without death. Um, So when it comes uh, to learning from Enoch, uh, the life of faith, chooses to keep in step with the Spirit. The life of faith chooses to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Enoch did. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, for us, the Apostle Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit. And, you know, the Greek word is walk. In some of the older translations, like the New American Standard, says walk by the Spirit. Personally, I like the, the, the idea of walk. Live is accurate, but walk just shows steps. And I take steps all day long, and I make choices all day long about whether I will follow Christ or not. And Paul tells us to live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What a way to deal with sin. If I just walk by the Spirit, I can handle this. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you not do what you want. Now, one of the things I want us to see here, um, there's a conflict going on. It's a spiritual conflict. The flesh or the sinful nature, the flesh is another word for sinful nature, that in me that's selfish and self-centered and is not interested in pleasing God. There is a conflict between the Holy Spirit and me, my flesh. There is a conflict going on now here's the deal please know the conflict is normal if you are a human if you have tension in your life that's spiritual that doesn't make you a bad person it just makes you living okay it's surrender in the conflict that becomes a problem it's surrender that leads to failure but the conflict is normal that you have tension and, and sometimes you feel pulled that's the conflict it's surrendering in the conflict is the problem. Sometimes Christians sort of get defeated by they just, oh, I just, I feel the struggle all the time. And uh, so they feel like that's, that they should be beyond that. You might go through periods where you don't face much conflict, but you're going to go through some times where you do. And all I'm saying is the conflict is just a normal part of following Christ. But you never have to surrender. Uh, Galatians 5 25 and 26 since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit there it is keep in step he's directing he's prompting he's instructing stay with him stay the course let us not become conceited Um, Enoch did verse 25 he kept in step with the spirit Cain did verse 26 become conceited provoking and envying each other. Um, so a little practical question here, are you keeping in step with the spirit today? Are you keeping in step with the spirit? So uh, what would it take to, to help you be in step with the spirit? What do you need to do? Uh, Are there things that you need to stop doing? Are there things that you need to start doing? Uh, Do you need to get back on track with your time with God? Do you need to get back on track in hearing from him through his word? Do you need to get back on track um, in your prayer life, in connecting with him in prayer? Do you need to get back on track by being generous with your money uh, that God provides for you? You need to get back on track by being reconciled to a friend or a family member. Are there some things you need to stop doing? Do some of you need to make a break with pornography. Uh, some of you need to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. Maybe you need to start treating your mate with honor. Um, what does it take for you to keep in step with the Spirit? Okay thirdly last point last verse hebrews eleven six. god cares about your motives god cares about your motives hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 and without faith it's impossible to please god without faith it's impossible to please god living daily in your own strength displeases god daily a little redundancy there but it really helps Living daily in your own strength displeases God daily. Um, Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes I think we view faith as sort of an additive to the Christian life. It's like, you know, taking a spiritual vitamin. It kind of helps us. And that's kind of a misunderstanding of faith. It's not an additive. You know, sometimes you know, we we think we need faith when, well, I, I I hit those times of crisis in my life. What about when I lose my job? Well, I, yeah, now I'm going to trust God to, to get me through this and to help me find a job. Um, it, well, that's good. But, you know, faith is not the spare tire that w- we rely on when we have a flat. You know, we got to get out of trouble, you know. Somebody in our family or one of our friends has cancer and we, we, have, we have faith. We've got to pray. We've got to ask God for help. Um, that's a good thing to do, but it's not just like an additional thing. It's like a good thing to do if you're a Christian. It is the only thing. Uh, taking God at his word. Uh, living by faith is not for special occasions. It's for every day, every occasion. Um, Secondly, living with a daily focus on earthly rewards displeases God daily. I think sometimes we think about, well, I haven't done anything really bad lately, so I'm probably doing okay. And it comes back to what pleases God is living by faith. And when we're going through life without paying attention to who God is and what he's done and what he wants, we are not pleasing God we are displeasing God daily. Um, living with a daily focus on earthly rewards displeases God daily. Let's look at Hebrews eleven six again. And without faith, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. It's a good starting point. But even the demons believe that he exists, right? And they tremble. They get it. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, Living with a daily focus on earthly rewards. If I live my life about me and my job and my money and my house and my stuff and my toys and my time and my family and my private life, I have a great chance of displeasing God daily. Um, living by faith tunes you into God daily and without faith it's like turning off the God switch Uh, doing a whole day without God without faith living by faith is placing my life and my agenda and under the lordship of Christ which leads to my next point C is living today and every day with God's priority pleases God Because that's what living by faith is all about. It's not just Sundays. It's not just a couple of times a week. Sometimes we Christians think we got it good if we remember God once or twice during the week. And it's about God's priorities. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Some of you have heard my story a number of times. I heard this the very first week of my Christian life. At the age of 25, we were already married. We already had deep marital conflict. And when I learned this verse, there was something about being a new Christian that um, when I placed my faith in Christ, I would describe sort of some spiritual healing took place. Forgiveness was an awesome thing. And... When I learned about seeking God's kingdom and his priorities first, because that's what this is about, seek first his kingdom, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, tells us what his priorities are. And um, putting, advancing his kingdom above advancing my kingdom. And so how did that play out? Well, for me, I was really excited about sharing my faith with other people. And so we just sort of took advantage of every opportunity we had to get with friends or family and tell him what God had done in my life. Now, to do that, you need to be walking with Christ in his power and his strength and having the Holy Spirit leading you. However, when I argue with Sue, the whole thing just falls to the ground. You know, When I have conflict with my wife and hurt her feelings, it's like it's all off the board now. So what I learned really quickly about this was, this was a great benefit for my marriage was, when I do that, I need to apologize to Sue and ask her for forgiveness so that we can get back on track to advance the kingdom of God. It's putting God's priorities ahead of mine. Now, I would just say God was gracious with me to help me see that. And it was a big help for our marriage in those early days because we had a purpose And um, we both wanted to advance the kingdom, and we both found it easy to apologize when we got off track. So um, it's about putting God's priorities ahead of my own priorities every day in my marriage, in my family, in my work, in my money, in my free time. Putting God's priorities first and trusting him to take care of everything I need all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6 and the whole context is about daily needs. Can I trust God to provide what I need, especially if, if I take the time to put God's kingdom first? And the answer is absolutely yes. Trust God and put his kingdom first so that he can take care of my kingdom, all the stuff that I think that it's important to my life. Colossians three twenty three and 24 Tells us this, the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That's having kingdom priorities because the Lord Jesus Christ is the king, by the way. And it's about having him and his desires first. And it's about whatever I do, he's the boss. It's not about pleasing men. It's about pleasing the Lord since you know you will receive an inheritance. That ties us right back with, Hebrews eleven six because God rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those. Uh, I, I, I'm going to stay back on Colossians. There we go. So that you receive an inheritance. Um, the father has set out an estate. There's been estate planning for you in heaven. And the, Jesus left behind a bit of an inheritance for you. And I can tell you, you're going to like it. That's part of the reward for your faith. And there's a, the idea is to keep our focus on that future. So now the Hebrews eleven six, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, Anyone, anyone who comes to him. The gospel is for anyone, and it starts with faith. First, you have to believe that he exists. That's good. We have to start there. And and sometimes people just think just because they believe God exists, that's enough. You know, that, oh, I believe in God. Well, it's about what God has said about his son, Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sin. And that's that starting point. That's where we go online with God. We get connected eternally, forever. And then he rewards those. He gives salvation. He forgives sin. He gives eternal life. And he answers prayer. And he gives us a hope and a future. And he provides for all of our needs. He rewards those. And then there's that little inheritance that He's set aside for you uh, with your, that includes your citizenship in heaven. So, practical question for us is, uh, how does God influence your motive for living? So on a daily basis, as you head into every day this week, how will God influence your motives? Um, does God influence... Um, how you handle your finances? Does he influence your conversations? Does he, uh, do you seek to advance, advance the kingdom of God throughout your week? How does God influence the way you relate to your family, the way you talk to your family, the way you treat your family? How does God influence your attitudes? Your, are you self-focused? Do people consider you to be harsh, self centered, unkind, unfriendly, angry, prideful, more concerned about how you look than how God looks? Or do they see you as a loving, a kind, a humble, gentle, patient, others focused? How does God influence you every day? So. God cares about your heart response. God cares about your daily choices and he cares about your motives for living.